calling all Gen Xers. Were you born in the 1970s or early 80s? Have memories of getting up early to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings? If you can name all of the original MTV VJs without hesitation, you have found your podcast. We bring you all the spoils of being a kid in the generation of excess and a teenager heading towards a new millennium with all the music, games, movies, and events that shaped us proudly as Generation X as we celebrate growing up 80s and bloomed in the 90s. Hosted by filmmaker, DJ, and lover of all things analog, Roy Turner. 1982, my absolute favorite year as a kid, man. I was eight years old. And it was just the absolute best. We were at my favorite place in time. Um, the the music that scored it, come on, man, 82 was the year that Michael Jackson released Thriller and Prince released 1999. Not to mention, as a kid, all the cartoons. And, you know, this is the golden age of video games, of the Atari, which I got for Christmas that December. It was just the absolute best. And so I had a... Since we started this, this is the episode I've been wanting to do. And as you know, to expand upon it, <clears throat> you know, you, we have to learn how to do these things. When we did 1980, we crammed all of that into, I don't mean cram, I mean we took our time and did it special. But what I mean is we crammed it all into like four episodes that are maybe two or three that are just 1980 part ones, twos, and thirties. And same thing we did last year. This year is just too damn special. And I probably will do it this way from now on because 8030 is almost, if it wasn't for 82, 83 would be the year. Here's what I'm getting at. So instead of doing 80, uh, 82 parts one through three, we're expanding upon it. So we're going to do, <clears throat> so what we did was we did 1982, the Greybeck reunion. Greybeck was the apartment complex that me, my mom, and my sister Nikki lived in from '82 to '84, which again was the location that is uh, that that is a metaphor for my my Albertine, my favorite place that still lives and and, and grows and burns uh, inside of me, and which I hope has everyone has that inside of them. <clears throat> and we talked. We did like a conversation and we talked about, you know, some of the music and some of the shows that we watched and things like that. But I thought, man, we got, we, you know, that was for the three of us. But through the eyes of an eight-year-old versus the eyes of, you know, my mom who was 38 at the time. Nikki was like, what, like four, 13, 14. I wanted to do something special just for the 1974s out there that turned 8 and 82 or around that time. And it's going to be all about the comics, the games, the cartoons. We're going to get super freaking nerdy. And I've got two special guests. I've got the two of the best special guests for this special episode. Coming back to the show, uh, my friends from Comics Therapy, Aaron Myers, freaking the living legend of comic collecting. And, of course, one of my oldest friends, Mark Rez from the Toadies, a, a band uh, that uh, uh, is, they are, they are Texas royalty. And uh, I've known those guys since the beginning. So I'm so excited that they're here and uh, we're going to do this thing today, man. We're going to get into all types of comics, as I said, in cartoons and fun. Um and again, you don't want to miss that on, on the rest of the fun. Definitely check out the 82 uh, episode called Greyback Reunion. 
and that that that'll get you started and get you rocking and get you give you a great. Um, it's it's kind of like what the Hobbit would be <laughs> to Lord of the Rings. Isn't that funny? But it's it, but its own thing. Now we're gonna get super nerdy and go even deeper. Uh, but other fun is is that I did an entire 1982 video game stream on Twitch, which I hope that you're following along because we are now a part of the affiliate program. So now you can come in and win some loot and give some subs. Christmas is coming up. Uh, I've got my three tiers of subscriptions that are uh, very reasonably priced and worth it, man. You'll, you get all kinds of fun stuff. Um, when we did the show with Mark and Aaron, we actually did it live on Twitch. You guys are going to get the exclusive bonus content here, but uh, we gave away all kinds of great stuff thanks to uh, Marvel and Marvel Studios. I want to thank those guys uh, very much as well. And we're even, like I said, expanding. There is an entire show uh, that we have called "This Is Metal." We're gonna we have an entire episode coming up of just a great metal that came out in 1982. And and of course, we're doing the same for our wrestling program called "This Is Wrestling." And so much neat stuff came out that year. So instead of having to cram four episodes into one show called 1982, and you're hunting and pecking for your favorite stuff, you can go here for the metal. You can go there for the wrestling you can come here for the nerdy and also even to expand upon that we have our own van halen podcast called sinners swing it's a it's a it's a special that that we do it's not even really on a schedule like a weekly or monthly thing it's just something we do a couple times a year and we did a diver down special it's also a tribute to course to the late great eddie van halen that's on our podcast called Center Swing, the Van Halen podcast. You can get all these shows, of course, on the iHeartRadio app and wherever else you get your podcast. And, of course, not to be outdone, uh, you know, Prince deserves his own thing. And we have our own show called Prince the Encore. And, of course, like I mentioned a while ago, he released 1999. And we've got two big specials coming up there. One, the 40th anniversary, of course, of 1999, but also of that first Vanity 6 record. Uh, the course morphed into Apollonia 6. Um but with you know with nasty girl and all that fun stuff so we got two big specials over there make sure you're following along to prince the encore so now get out your comic books uh you know pretend it's saturday morning get your big bowl of cereal let's get you know whip out your atari it's time to get nerdy and there's so much more to 80 just 82 Within this realm, we were to expand on. We had, of course, you know, the the unthinkable. We got Larry Hama to celebrate the 40th anniversary of 1982 with GI Joe issue number one. Make sure you check that out under our our All Things 1982 series for the big 40th anniversary giant size celebration to celebrate, of course, all things GI Joe, a real American hero with its creator, my, the living legend and my idol, Larry Hama. Then there's going to be an additional episode just about the movies. I mean, think about it. E.T. and, golly, so much, I mean, the Road Warriors, so many things came out in 1982. So we had a lot of fun to have here. So what were we watching? What were we playing with? I mean, put your, you know, uh, self in that spot. I'm eight years old. We live in Little Rock, Arkansas, in a lower middle class house income single parent 
you know, to kind of give you a bit of a vision. But again, it was the absolute best time. I've talked uh, so much at length about this. Of course, this is going to be the precursor to our docu-series called Growing Up 80s and Grooming in the 90s. And uh, if you've been following along on social media, you saw that actually I've been returning to Grayback once a year since 2019. And this year for the fourth anniversary, I returned and we planted with my family a very special kind of message in a bottle kind of style deal there. So put yourself there. What were you playing with? What were you watching? What were you reading? What what, what was your life like? I can remember, uh, you know, of course, watching Dukes of Hazard on on uh, TV, and, and there was this game called the Dukes of Hazard Pinball, and I remember I remember getting that for my birthday that year. Um, and also, uh, you know, again, video games seem to consume everything. You know, we talked about. You know, Atari started having its own line of comic books, which we're going to get into when we bring, you know, Aaron and, and Rez in. Um, and, of course, I did the video game stream. It was just a, it was all-consuming deal. But there was these tabletop arcade games, and I, I'm seeing them come, kind of making a comeback. They're a little smaller. They don't seem to be made as well. Maybe I was just impressed. But, and up until, I swear to you, a few years ago, I had them i still had two of them i think i had my pac-man and and frogger which i believe were the first two to come out and everything seemed to get lighter (laughs) so many popular uh i guess the you know the shift was turning towards uh you know healthier or i don't know some sort of lighter because 1982 uh of course i would have known then but of course but you know bud light was introduced diet coke uh, Pepsi free, which is, I guess is I guess is their answer to, to Diet Coke, were all introduced in 1982, um, as well as Dracar Noir. <laughs> Again, I wouldn't have known this at the time, whatever. Um, but CD players and the Commodore 64. But again, the soundtrack, uh, I, somebody I, I wanted, wanted to bring back here for a special thing here. Here's another special guest that we have. Of course, we had him on last year from 1981 for the celebrating the 40th release at the end of that year, of course, of the, you know, the inescapable, the, the, the song that will never die, of course, is 8675309 Jenny, of course, Tommy Two-Tone. And that record came out, of course, in late... Um, of uh, fall of 1981 but it took until may right as school was getting out right as we moved into grayback right as mtv was introduced outside of the new york new jersey tri-state area just all happening at the same time all happening at the same time here and so what a treat to welcome back to our program tommy two-tone it was written by alex call and jim keller who you mentioned uh, it peaked at number four on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in May of 1982, and th- by April, it was number one on the Billboard Hot Mainstream Rock Tracks. Now, for you personally, though, Tommy, when you think of that time and you think of that song, do you think of 1981 or do you think of 1982? Yeah, I always say 82, and my daughter, first daughter was born in 82. In fact, when you think about 1982, what's a bench post that really sticks out to you? Well, I remember we were um, on our way to Dick Clark, and my manager, Paul Chisel, he turns on the radio, and there it was. What do you credit with that song's longevity? There's something magic about the number. 
you know, today's the day, maybe we could settle something because there's a lot okay. of debate about the actual song. And I'll say this. Okay. Okay. Jim Keller says Jenny is a real girl that he knew. You claimed in 2008 that it was a girl that you knew, and it was a joke that you guys wrote on a motel wall. In 2004, Alex Call, who who was the co-writer but is not a member of Tommy Two-Tone and yeah. doesn't play on the song, says there was no Jenny. Right. Okay, okay Tommy, it's the 40th anniversary. Let's set it straight, man. From my point of view and from Jenny's, because we're still friends, um, we think she exists. And I remember her handing me the number. She told me to give it to Jim. And it was her parents' phone number and the area code. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell those folks, but it's 408. Wow. They, she lived in Los Gatos, in the hills above San Jose. And she ran the sound at a cool club in Carmel, California. I wrote it on the bathroom wall. But why would she have given you her number to give to Jim? Because he's handsome. She said, hey, when you give this to that good-looking guitar player. Cheers to Tommy for coming back on the show here. We're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be right back uh, again with Rez from the Toadies. And we've got Aaron Myers from AM Cell Comic Sales Comics Therapy. It's going to be a comic Christmas, man. Come on back. While you reminisce about your first kiss on a waterbed after a long night at the skating rink, we're going to take a quick break to fix the TV antenna and hear from these great sponsors. Hey guys, while we take a break, I wanted to tell you something about my favorite venue in Texas uh, and maybe the world over. Uh, if you have never been to the Texan Theater in Greenville, which is uh, it's you know a little ways north uh, on your way to Oklahoma. Uh, it's a, I guess it's about an hour and a half maybe north of, of Dallas. Uh, it is the greatest venue in the world. The proprietor, owner, and just all around badass Barbara Haran puts on one of the most unique experiences you will ever have in your life. Uh, she approaches things from a very different business model that I think the whole world should embrace and we would all would be uh, better for it. It's just this amazing uh, experience where you get to see uh, one of your favorite artists up close in a gorgeous venue and dinner is included, uh, unlimited drinks are included. Um, you know, she treats her staff so well, they're not getting the whatever the $2 an hour and relying on tips things. She makes, she takes good care of them. N literally none of them have had to suffer uh, throughout the pandemic, thankfully. Uh, Barb's just a great gal, a great person, uh, very creative, and just uh, just one of my favorite people. And so if you're ever in Greenville or even near, anywhere near Dallas, make a point to visit the Texan Theater in, in, uh, in Greenville. And as you know, we're working on our... Uh, uh, King's X film project, you know, as you know, I'm a filmmaker myself, and so we'll be should be talking about that maybe in the context of Tribeca soon. Uh, but we will be having the film along with a live performance uh, with King's X there at the Texas Theater uh, as soon as we can get this sucker done. So, so once again, Texan Theater in Greenville, check it out. Okay, so all right, whenever you're ready. Okay, well, this is Sam Jones Flash Gordon. I'm with Roy Turner at Tricky Kid Radio, and you better be tuning in, or I will find you. <laughs> 
Yes, I will. <laughs> Joining me fresh off of a, of a tour celebrating their 25th anniversary of their 1994 seminal debut album, the I'm man, Mark Rez. Rez, how the hell are you, sir? Good. Uh, recovering from two months of touring. First tour we've done in five years, but yeah, it was probably uh, our most successful tour as far as number of people attending. I saw the show on Friday in Dallas, and it was seemed like an old school reunion there. And also joining my man from Comics Therapy, as well as AM Comic Cells, the authority, the man, Aaron Myers. Aaron, how the hell are you, sir? Good. Just keeping on the grind. That brings me actually to my first question. Aaron, I know that you are all comics all the time. And of course, Rez, you know, with a touring schedule and things like that. But do you guys ever have a time where it kind of gets put on the back burner and then even further back? And then suddenly you kind of go, oh, wait a minute, comics. And then it just be becomes all consuming for a period. I have a pretty consistent schedule and I work from home. So it lets me keep comics as part of my life on a pretty daily right. basis. It's weird. I think I give online the impression that it's just a continuous stream of comics. <laughs> yeah, really not a day goes by that I don't like at least read a comic or two, like maybe before bed or whatever. Even while I was out on tour, I, I would make a trip to a comic store, found a bunch of treasures while I was out there. The Midwest of the United States is a rich motherload of back issues for good prices, I have found. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. So did you look up before you went to each new city? Stores were there? Usually I would just wait till I was there and mm -hmm. bus was parked at the venue. I would look on Yelp or Maps. This one looks like I could walk to it or I might have to take an Uber to this one. In a few cases, it was like, a block or two away. Sometimes it will literally will leave my radar almost entirely. All of a sudden I'll go, oh my God, comic books. And I think I probably have spent like $2,000. I hope my wife doesn't hear this. <laughs> uh, in the last two months. That's not so bad. I spent $20,000 on Monday. This is the guy who buys like grails. This, so, is the, this is the biggest collection I've ever bought. I wanted to ask about CGC. Aaron, you do this as a business, but I'm torn between having my comics being graded and slabbed. So Rasmus, do you get into that at all? I don't have any slabs. I'm all for people doing that and protecting their collection. It's just not what I'm into the hobby for. I just want to read them, but I don't begrudge anybody doing that. And I love looking at pictures of people's acquisitions online. If you can believe this, you know, your, your three ring binders you had in school, I would actually hole punch my comics to fit them in there. We literally slaughtered them. I found plenty of collections where the kids did that. And I mean, it, to it makes total sense. You could hide your, your comic in your in your homework binder. I would like to have a few of my things, not all of them, but at the same time, it's like once you do that, it's it's a piece of, it's, it goes on your wall now. It's yeah, it's, a, an art, it's an art piece or it's a, it's a trading card. We're going to go through 1992. Also for me, this is when I first started reading comics. It also happens to be respectively the 40th and the 30th anniversaries of 82 and 92. So in January of 1982, something pretty significant happened. The Apocalypse War Story from the, the British comic book 2000 AD, which basically is what brings Judge Dredd onto the map. Did you guys ever read 2000 AD? I never had access to it. 
you know, back in my little town. I didn't read 2000 AD as much as um, the Judge Dread stories were reprinted uh, from this company called Eagle Comics sure. starting about 1983 or 1984. I think I had read about Judge Dread in those Mile High Comics catalogs. It sounded like kind of reggae artist. It turns <laughs> out there is a reggae artist called Judge Dread. That's when I also first discovered the artwork of Brian Boland. Now you would definitely would equate Judge Dredd, especially then, with the metal band Anthrax. Their song, I Am The Law, I, I wanted to learn about it because I loved Anthrax and, and I and I love comics. And I thought I could just go down to the local comic book store and found out that that wasn't going to be the case. The drummer from, from Anthrax, Charlie Benante, has become a great friend of ours. This is a comic book about the 1987 album, Among the Living featuring I Am The Law. And what's cool is that each song from it has its own tale. Brian Posehn is a part of this. Z2 Comics has been putting out a lot of this stuff with a lot of different bands. Uh, have you guys seen anything from Z2 or anything like this yet? I haven't seen an Anthrax one, though. That's cool. And with, of course, as you can see, the, the super cool Judge Dredd cover that Charlie drew. Mm. Speaking of bands with comics, you put out a comic book called Buzzkill. Are you guys doing anything more with that? My co-writer on that series, uh, Donnie Cates, you might have heard of him. <laughs> he kind of used that as a springboard to kickstart his career in comics. More of like dilettante, like had an idea for a comic and we kind of teamed up and made that happen. We had a little interest about making it a TV series or a movie, so that may or may not happen in the future. A lot of things were ending. It's happened at the beginning of a decade. Savage She-Hulk uh, is canceled by Marvel with issue number 25. Have either of you guys seen the new She-Hulk attorney at law show yet? Sure, of course, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if you haven't read it, you should read Charles Soule's uh, She-Hulk attorney at law. So it, it, it cribs a lot from that. And it, it kind of took the tone from John Burns' totally. uh, She-Hulk too, where they... They break the fourth wall and all that kind of stuff. And it's yeah. kind of, um, he took it in, you know, more of a comedy direction. That fourth wall breaking before any of the Deadpool stuff. Uh, a lightning bolt hit a, a major title with Daredevil 181 when Bullseye fatally stabs Electra. Mm -hmm. What are your memories of this? Uh, I remember buying it off the stand. I was still living in Kingsville at the time. I went to donate plasma as a poor, broke college student. After I crossed the street, there was a little drugstore. And I was a huge fan of the Frank Miller Daredevil series. And that one was on the stands. And I was like, oh, shit, this is it. 82 is literally the year I started reading comic books. And I didn't really come to Daredevil until much, much later. But to talk about a, a earthquake, a lightning bolt that hit my life. I was eight years old in 82 in a small town in Arkansas. And the very first thing I picked up was Richie Rich. That was something I, I was watching it on TV. I was a big Richie Rich fan, still am. And starting with issue number three, I saw G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. We got to do something so cool last Tuesday to celebrate the 40th anniversary of A Real American Hero. We had Larry Hama on. He is so great and so 
just so generous. We wanted to see Larry get the 200. And I'm proud to tell you that on November the 23rd, issue 300 is hitting stands. Mm-hmm. And he cleared up the fact that since, that since IDW lost the, um, the, the license to, uh, to keep publishing uh, G.I. Joe, I was thinking, oh man, this must be the end. And he said, I've already have written issues 301 and 302. So the future of G.I. Joe is bright, and it's just insane to me that at age 48, I still get to go to the newsstand and pick up Larry Hama written mm-hmm. G.I. Joe comic. Now, Rez, last time oh. we did this, Aaron and I strongly urged you to get on board with this. Did you ever follow up on that? Well, recently I picked up these little guys versions of like all the early issues in these small little digest sized books i found those in a box in austin i remembered you guys telling me i need to our bass player donnie blair he's also really into gi joe on this last tour he's been reading that idw run on his ipad raving about it and bless you my friend because i don't think it's a coincidence that you actually just happen to have those sitting right there at your desk today so <laughs> that is a wonderful wonderful thing to say welcome brother Th- welcome to the party <laughs> we'll have to welcome him uh, next time we do this for sure one turn deserves another i want you both to know that i took your advice uh in terms of finding a way to get back in to the amazing spider-man part of that two grand investment i mentioned earlier (laughs) was i bought the entire run including the free comic book day the entire brand new day run right here (laughs) in my hands nice cheers to you guys for bringing this back into my life one of the biggest comic book conventions in in the country began here in Dallas in 1982 uh, called the Dallas Fantasy Fair. Rez, do you have any any memories of going to that? I was still living in South Texas at the time. It was a fantasy to (laughs) someday attend the Dallas Fantasy Fair. It became the home of the Harvey Awards. Not Harvey Comics, but of course, Wilt Harvey. But that same year in 82, Harvey Comics goes under under this crazy dust-up uh, debacle that led to, of course, Star Comics uh, right. and the whole being sued about you know the Ghostbusters and all kinds of shit. Aaron, speak to me about what you know about the whole Harvey Comics debacle. Yeah, I don't know too much of like what the what the history of that implosion was. I know like the the way those properties kind of just like got like scattered to the wind and then it's interesting like right like marvel getting all the the licensing for these (laughs) like semi harvey type comics right but i guess i guess it filled a void i you know i don't i don't know i really don't know how like how popular that was at the time because even for me it would have been later on like so much of that stuff seemed like it was kind of out of the zeitgeist some of the same artists uh moved over from harvey to the star comics line like uh Warren Kramer, and I think he's credited as one of the creators of uh, Richie Rich and uh, Hot Stuff. And I right. think he did, uh, what's that one, uh, Roy? I mentioned earlier my first comic was Richie Rich. My name is Roy, 
So you can imagine. Yeah, right. Royal Roy, that was yeah. it. <laughs> when Star Comics came out uh, with Royal Roy, which is, it's the same artist. It's a, a complete ripoff uh, of Richie Rich. Well, I was doing Richie Rich. How about Royal Roy? <laughs> sure, that's different enough. Yeah, we could do that. I love, and but he was kind of, you know, he was a royal. So it was like he's royal Roy, a prince of a boy. Nothing replaces the innocence for me of this kind yeah. of chamber of that year. Atari Force comics started coming out to, of course, coincide with, you know, how popular the Atari 2600. I did a thing called the Golden Age of Video Games where. We did 25 games that all came out that year across four different consoles. The 2600, uh, the ColecoVision, uh, what else was the other one? The 5200, and I think the fourth one was the Intellivision. I had the, the mini, I don't have the original systems. I have like those little mini ports they have. But anyway, and, uh, and we had a great time with it. Also beginning that year is, as you can see here, is the Pac-Man cartoon that uh, both seasons there's no way you'll ever see these sold in stores because there's not a demand for them but if you uh request them they will it's kind of like print uh, uh print order season two includes my beloved christmas comes to Pacland. currently out on the market and i have not had this since 1982 and absolutely should not be eating this at age 48 <laughs> but fruit brute it oh yeah is now back on shelves for a very very limited time who doesn't have of course great memories of obviously with count chocula it's always kind of hard to find boober talking about the stuff of dreams i grew up with hippie parents so it was granola and carob and that stuff would never make it into our house ever thanks to our friends at general mills for sending this to us the last time i had it i was eight years old and I just had it again this morning. It's absolutely disgusting, but I love <laughs> holding this box in my hand. Cloak and Dagger first appear mm -hmm. in Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 64. I love Cloak and Dagger. I know that was that title doesn't get a whole lot of love. Did you guys ever read Cloak and Dagger? I read the miniseries, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I had you know. the miniseries. Mm -hmm. uh, I even watched the... Uh... That one or two seasons. Once again, want to thank all three of my guests, of course, the legendary Tommy Two-Tone, my man Mark Ress from the Toadies, my buddy Aaron Myers, the comic guru. Uh, and, you know, like, again, that, that year just, again, things that I'm still into, G.I. Joe, retro video gaming. Again, I hope that you'll join our streams, of course, on twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. We're now part of the affiliate program. You can come on and win tons of stuff. I hope you didn't miss my 1982 All Things. It was a marathon stream of every game that came out in 1982. I did across four different consoles. And, um, you know, again, the Commodore 64 came out that year, the ColecoVision. Um, I did it on my Atari 2600 that I, that I got for Christmas in 82, which I thought was the new machine. I didn't realize it was the 5200 that actually that came out that year. And I didn't, I couldn't get a hold of one of those, but we still had a, had a great time. And uh, I believe that the other one, of course, was the Intellivision. Uh, but also there was a video game, game show, like, you know, like The Price is Right, whatever, called Starcade. And if you uh, watch on Twitch my stream, the theme song to that show is my waiting sound. Hope I don't get sued. <laughs> but hey, listen, 
come on back, man. We're going to come back uh, next week and we're going to do it again uh, for this time for 1992. And again, with Rez and Aaron, you don't want to miss it. Thank you for joining me this week and thank you to my Gen Actors out there for Growing Up 80s and we'll see you next week. Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s isn't just the name of this podcast. It's also the title of a forthcoming docuseries currently in production, directed by our host, Roy Turner, chronicling real events in his personal life of Growing Up 80s in a small town in Arkansas. Stay tuned for release dates and premier party information. Inquire within about investment opportunities on our website at tricky-kid.com. Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s is produced by Tricky Kid Media and distributed by iHeartRadio. Make sure to download the iHeartRadio app so you can feel like a member of the Jetsons and be part of the future as well as the past. And make sure to follow along on Twitter at growing underscore up 80s for the latest in all of our 80s and 90s themed events and special guests. Out of my mind.